Ready? Here we go. Different points of view and highs and lows. A new perspective everywhere you go. Open up your mind, drown out the noise, and see if this connected. And see if this connected. So, Dr. Austin, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, thank you for honoring us and coming down to the Diocese of San Bernardino. I was actually here yesterday when, when you gave your presentation, and a lot of the things that you said really resonated with me and answered a lot of my questions and concerns. And you know, I know we have you for a little bit here, but um, we just have a, a few questions from our listeners uh, on our podcast and some things that we have Um that I think people want to hear from from you as an expert um, this. But first, introduce to our listeners who you are and, and what is it that you do. Sure. Um, my name is Austin Ivory, and I come from the United Kingdom. And I describe myself as a journalist and a writer and an author. Um, I'm also a bit of an academic because I'm professor in contemporary church history uh, at Campion Hall in the University of Oxford. Um, but I'm, I guess, best known for my work uh, on and with Pope Francis. So I've done two biographies of Pope Francis, uh, The Great Reformer, which came out in 2014, and Wounded Shepherd, which came out in 2019. And then in 2020, I did a book with him called Let Us Dream. So um, what do I do? I guess I, I uh, write about and I talk about and I explain Pope Francis. <laughs> that's the that's the mission. That, that's the dream, Tony. <laughs> we'll we we'll get do. there someday. Yeah. But Tony, you had a question for for Doctor Ivory. Yes. So personally, I um on the parish level, I was running the synod listening sessions, huh. and I was actually really sh shocked to see how much pushback and like leadership, um, people that you know, all in with the church, you know, in their heart and mind and their service. But there's such a a pushback of not wanting to participate yeah. um, and not wanting to open it up, especially coming out of the pandemic. It's like um, I got a lot of the, the same sentiment of where were you when I needed you during the pandemic? And the whole question I have is what mm. can we do to reach out to those individuals mm. that have such a heart in of hearts, whether it mm. be um, justified or not, or um, yeah. what, what can we speak to them to try to open up and yeah. so that we can listen, yeah. you know, they don't want to speak. <laughs> Look, you know, but of course what the story that you tell there, which is that you went to people and said, please join. And they, they kind of said, no, thanks. Mm -hmm. um, I think, in all of the countries, it's been the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, but just before we go into the reasons why people didn't take part, just to stop and realize that the number of people who did take part was completely unprecedented. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the, in the US, it's been 700,000, 500,000 of whom got together in small groups. Now, I, I just heard Cardinal McElroy of San Diego say on a, on a podcast that um, this is apparently the biggest ever uh, consultation by a non-governmental organization in the history of the United States. And I think actually it's the biggest ever in the history of the world, in the history of humanity, if you take it together. Now, I, I was part of the 
process of drawing together the global the synthesis of the whole kind of world's reports. Right. We had 116 bishops' conference reports summarizing what had been eight months of every, and which were in turn synthesizing reports from each diocese. I mean, okay, so what kind of percentage of people took part? Well, we think considerably less than 10%, maybe more than 5%, whatever it is. It's still a historically unprecedented number. Okay, why don't why didn't people take part? Well, <laughs> Have you ever tried putting on anything in your parish and inviting people? Oh yes. <laughs> and and how many and you, and what kind of percentage usually turns out, right? We're about the same. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, we we have to get parents to force them to come. <laughs> so so in a way the question is not why didn't people turn out for the sin, but why don't generally they turn out for anything? Mm. And the answer is fear. And the a fear of the unknown. Most mm. people when anything anything new happens, most people hang back. And they wait to see what happens. That's what most people are like. You always get one group which is enthusiastic. You get another group which is like, never, right? And most people are in the middle. Most people are kind of, okay, mm. let's wait and see what happens. Look, people are busy uh, and they, wait, they want to know whether this is worth it. I think what's going to happen in the church is that we're going to get more and more used to doing this. And when people see the fruits of it, and it's very important that they do see the fruits of it, mm. they're going to come out more and more. Yeah. Now, now, listening to your presentation, you had mentioned this. I wanted to follow up with it that the synod is, is, is not, um, the synod is about listening. But I think a lot of people, especially here in the United States, that we are very much, let's get it done yep. kind of um, attitude, is we want results. And so you had mentioned something about what the synod is and what the synod is not. Can you expand on that? Well, I think this is a really a, a key point because if you regard the synod as a way of achieving a particular outcome, then you're not doing it right, <laughs> or, or you, you've got it wrong. You don't understand what a synod is. A synod, a sy and by the way, when we talk about a synod, we mean, I'm using this in the very broadest term to mean both the formal synod, but also what we might call synodal meetings. You enter into a, a synodal experience with humility. That's to say, we don't have the answers. Um, but we're confident that the Spirit will lead us to those answers. So you're entering into an experience of discernment where you're looking for the guidance of the Spirit as a group and that you, and that you discover it uh, in that careful mutual listening. But this idea that the synod has to have a particular outcome or that there has, is, is in a way the great enemy of synodality. That's why synodality cuts across our culture too. Mm -hmm. you know, it's very, I mean, look, we live in a society where people for a start very seldom deeply listen to each other. That's why we have these huge divisions. So almost everything about synodality is countercultural, actually. And yet when people do it, they're like, wow, this is how we should be. And I know many people who've in the church just say, wow, this is clearly what the church should be and how it should be. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it has to have humility. And that's why people both on the left and the right, if I can use those terms of the church, are disappointed so far with the synod. Because they're basically waiting for it to confirm their presuppositions. Um, and they'll only like it if it does, and <laughs> they won't if, if it, it doesn't. It goes on their way. Yeah, because mm. they, they basically see this as a kind of a power struggle. You know, I've got the truth, and I need to persuade you, and so on. Well, that's not what synodality is about, and we need to learn another way of being if we are to stay together as church. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned yesterday that, you know, when someone asked that, and Pope said, just, I, I, I don't remember what you exactly said, but put those people on the left and on the right, conservatives and liberals, in one container and let them 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I said that. That's what the Pope said, but I think that's what I said, which is which is to say that what we have to learn to do. So I, I mean, I think there are two things. I think one is that um, uh, we have the synodal processes discovering the mission of our parishes, the way forward, and so on. But I do think there's a particular kind of synodal listening that we need to do as a church, which is to bring together people who frankly are repugnant to each other <laughs> you know who can't stand to be in the same room as each other you know and i'm talking i mean let's just let's create a couple of caricatures here you know the traditionalist who says you know what uh, you know the council of trent solved everything we need to go back to the 1950s where everything was clear and so on and on the other hand you got well we need the church needs to look a lot more like the modern world and we need to have you know we need to have women priests and we, you know both sides have a whole kind of and completely antithetical to each other i think we need to bring them together and do listening, where we're not, we're not trying to solve anything. There's no argument. We just listen to their hopes, their fears, their anxieties, their dreams. And we come to understand why they believe what they believe and, and just begin there. I think that could be enormously healing for our church. To not necessarily agree, but be listened to. Well, put it this way. In a synodal meeting lasting an hour and a half, you can be sure of one thing. You're not going to resolve the differences. <laughs> Between a, a progressive and a conservative or a progressive and a But what you can do is you can begin to realize that they are not the enemy, that they're coming from a, from a place. You understand why they believe what they believe because you've got to know something of their own interior life, their fears, their hopes, their dreams, and their anxieties. And so once you do that, you realize that actually we're all human and we all have anxieties and hopes and dreams and fears and that if our faith is the same, if our faith is in Jesus Christ, we believe, you know, so, then we can be together in our differences, and that's okay. Last question from one of our young adults. Um, you've done the synthesis for the continentals and different parts of the world, different countries. Unlike us, we just did San, you know, San Bernardino. Right. But was there a significant difference or were there differences in the response of the people of God from mm. Europe versus, you know, North America, mm. South America, Africa, and Asia? Yeah. Was there was there listening sessions? Was it different, the things that people were saying? Or was it mutually everyone was on the same channel? Well, the truth is both. <laughs> because, I mean, there were obviously very big differences. I mean, if you pick up the report from, you know, Oceania, for example, the Pacific Islands, what do they for foreground? They foregrounded climate change because literally they're losing their land every day to the sea. Um, you know, I, re I read a report from Haiti, for example, which was explaining that the number one issue there was violence, you know. Okay, so there are different contexts and different priorities. But what's, rem and, and then I would say even about the issues on which they all, which they all agreed were important, for example, the role of women, there was a big difference between, for example, the Latin Americans and the Asians and the Africans who said the church needs to stand win with women as a justice issue in society. North America and Europe were much more, win about women's place in the church. So, okay, there were those differences. And then there were the remarkable commonalities. And that's where you start to go, wow, something is happening here. So I would say young people comes up time and time again. The, the, the difficulty that young people um, have with the church, the problem with the transmission of faith and all the rest of it. The question of exclusion, again, looks slightly different. In Africa, they talk about, you know, Polygamy is a major issue, whereas in the West it's more like homosexuality. Okay, groups who, for various reasons, are the divorced and remarried, Felix say the role of women, say, fundamental. But what we found in, in Frascati, when we, where we did the continental document, was 
we were really actually struck by how everywhere lamented the divisions within the church. It was almost like we need to develop a new way of living together, which allows us to hold together our differences in a fruitful way. And that's where we came up with this image from Isaiah 54, enlarge the space of your tent. We need to have a bigger tent, a more capacious body, <laughs> you know, and that's, and then also one that's more inviting, that's more, in, that, that includes people so that uh, we're not, this isn't about changing doctrine, but it's about starting with the essential proclamation that God is love and God is mercy. You know, so those, it's really, and then I would say lastly is everybody in all of those reports wanted more synodality, not less. In other words, they had experienced this and they'd gone, yeah, this is what we should be doing. This is how the church needs to be co-responsibility, participation in decision-making, greater formation for, for, for the faithful. All these things um, were in all of the documents. And that's why, uh, you know, the people of God, the people of God have spoken, but more importantly, the Spirit has spoken through the people of God. And I think that's going to be transformed. Whichever way the, 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 the synod goes and all sorts of things can now happen, We've still got a year and a half to go. Um, I think that's going to be the great legacy of this of this experience, which will be a more synodal way of being in the church. I love yeah. that. Thank you. I think that's yeah. all our time, but thank you so much. Was- thank you so much. I love this conversation um, that builds on to you know, what you brought up, listening, having that conversation. And as the children of God, we work with young people. They just want to be heard mm-hmm. and be affirmed that they are being listened to. So thank you so much. Dr. Thank you. Well, I, I've, I've really enjoyed being here and I'm really impressed with what you've done here in the diocese. And um, my message to you know young people, anybody listening is hang on in there. There's never been a better time to be a young Catholic. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Doc. Different points of view and highs and lows, a new perspective everywhere you go. Open up your mind and drown in the noise of different generations of the girls and boys. So sit back and relax. This cat, the podcast, don't overreact if the thoughts are abstract when it's hosted by Catholic Doc Dad. Who knows what's gonna happen? Hey, what's up, fam? Different points of view and highs and lows. A new perspective everywhere you go. Open up your mind and drown in the noise and see if disconnected. What's up, fam? generations and situations about faith, life, and whatever Spec runaway thoughts like a runaway train Break into conversation like links of a chain Make a Hail Mary pass, hope disconnects Have a question for a guest, put it to rest Live a life of holiness, lead by example Follow at catholic.dead and many tingled <laughs> Christ leads our way, he's the good shepherd Pray for one another, be blessed and be there Different points of view and highs and lows A new perspective everywhere you go Open up your mind and drown with the noise and see if this connected. This connected podcast is brought to you by The Cabin. Want to get away and get some peace and quiet and rest? Yes, rest, but not too far away from home or the city. Want to experience a true log cabin feel in the mountains? Well, I have the recommendation for you. The cabin is a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath that will do just that. With a beautiful wood fireplace lit and a glass of wine, you are sure to relax. 
with easy access from the main highway, private parking, easy access with stairs to the entrance, fast Wi-Fi, a full-size kitchen, and all the essential amenities will make your stay a memorable experience. This cozy log cabin was built in the early 60s with its original wood fireplace and a newly transformed deck with beautiful views of the San Bernardino Mountains. So, book your stay at the cabin in Running Springs, California. The cabin, located in the San Bernardino Mountains, is a beautiful place to see the beauty of God's creation. I have known the proprietor of the cabin for many years. She has always supported the youth and young adult ministries of her community, as well as this podcast. Check out the cabin on Instagram at the cabin 2021 Again, that's at thecabin2021, T-H-E-C-A-B-I-N 2021.